Welcome to the Family Bookshelf. My name is Amber of AmbitionsForChrist.com, and with me is my husband, Nick, the game schooling dad. All right, before I start, I'm going to just say, excuse me, my voice is really gravelly and kind of coming and going. We've had smoke and blowing dirt for several days, and I think my voice has officially just, like, given up hope and been like, I'm done with this. It's been like three weeks. Our roof is coming off the house. I mean, yeah, oh, it's just, goodness. yeah. So dirt is my life right now. Anyway, so... If you're wondering why I sound like a gravelly old man tonight, that's why. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, on to the actual fun topic of books. I'm going to talk about three books tonight that are, I I, I hate calling them pop psychology books or something. That sounds horrible. That's exactly what I would call them. (laughs) (laughs) But they are along the lines. um, They have benefits, but there's also some drawbacks and some caveats. Okay. Big caveats in some cases that I would like to make with these as well. So. I think it's going to be some of those where you can pull out some good grains of salt, and then you have to leave a lot in the ash heap sometimes, <laughs> too. Just my own opinion, I guess. So you'll have to use your discretion on that. The first one I am going to start with is um, the five love languages. Oh, sure, sure. I do really enjoy the five love languages. It basically, exp- the gentleman that wrote it basically explains that you know everyone has a love tank, and different things will fill up your love tank quicker than other things. Sure. Um, there is truth to that. People show love in different ways. I mean, it's just a fact of how we live. I mean, I look at you, I look at my dad even. They're both acts of service all the way. Of You guys will go out and, you know, fill my tank with gas or, you know, check my oil or do things like that. And it shows love without ever saying, I love you in that many words. Right. You know, versus as I think of... Um, Barry. Barry, who is physical touch. Physical touch. He has to have a hug or be near you. Laura. Laura, who is words. definitely words of affirmation. I'm thinking we also had an exchange student one time. It was all gifts. Gifts. Yeah. She loved gifts. And I never, I mean, especially for you and I, who. who That's our lowest one. That was our lowest one. We were just like, oh, you want something? Like, why? Oh, okay. That's a big deal to you. And it's amazing to me. Like, there's all these different ways that people give and receive love. And it's, I do appreciate that they do mention in the book, like, no one is just all one of these. You need a sure. little mixture of all of them. At some point in your life, even if you are not a gift-giving person or a receiving person, a well-received gift every once in a while really will show love to you. But it might not be the biggest thing. You know, if someone just gives you gifts all the time but they never you know, help out around the house or do something like that, you will be eventually frustrated by the, the wrong love language. It almost. was, yeah, more about how you see your other person and to recognize what they need to right. show that you love them as opposed to thinking about yourself and how they need to show you love. If you can, you know, think of this as a, what can I do for you right. to help you know that I love you? Right. And I think what I've really appreciated, because I think I've loved, read both the five love languages that's just like the basic one and then also the one that's for children. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that both of them are really good because it's, very much based on selfless love instead of selfish love. It's not a, it's one of the reasons I did put this on this list as a book that I recommend because it does point to Christ in this of Christ demonstrated a selfless <laughs> love, you know, towards others. And so we also should express this selfless love to those around us. Sure. And that means thinking of how they want to be loved, not how we want to show them right. love. When you look at all these other pop psychology books, it's all like everything else is wrong with the world. Right. You're perfect. You know, keep doing you. And it's like, right. this one's saying, no, no, no. You need to look at how other people uh, right. reciprocate love and work towards them. Right. You know, and that is nice. Now, that being said, when I was going through my classes, there was quite a few pastors 
publishers who really railed against this kind of book. And I can understand why, because it is still very self-centered in some ways. There's still a lot of focus on just humanity and your humanness and... I don't know how else to describe it. There's flaws to it, definitely. Well, it's also a touch, I mean, touch Machiavellian. I mean, I can now use this to manipulate you, to show you my love, Mm -hmm. as opposed to the true Christ selfless love of dying to myself, as Christ has called me to do. Right. There can be times of you can make it so that I'm going to do all this stuff so that you're so loved that all of a sudden you're just going to turn around and write back to me, you know? Right. It becomes a selfish, I'm feeding you so that just so you can turn around and feed me. Right. And it becomes a narcissistic love as opposed to a selfless love. So there is definitely reasons to be wary here. And that's why these are not the Bible. These are not biblical books, you know? That's right. And but I do I really appreciate I think I appreciate this one of all the ones in my list I've appreciated this one the most just because it really does give me a little bit of insight especially as raising kids that each of my kids are so different anyway. <laughs> I agree. I mean, and I I think it's helped me especially with our physical touch love one, which is not our thing. Sure, we're like oh. Okay, <laughs> and he's like, but I haven't had a hug in like five minutes. You hate me now, and I'm like. No, I don't. <laughs> I just wanted five minutes away. This one, yeah, definitely the most practically useful. Yes. Where I can s- see, okay, I want to die to myself. Yes. How can I show that to mm-hmm. you the best way? Right. And well, just not to be frustrated when what you think is showing someone love just yeah. kind of gets brushed off because they're like, eh, okay, that maybe isn't their love language. They weren't realizing that as a, a selfless thing for you as much as you were Wanting it to be sometimes, sure. and to, to just be able to understand that. Yeah, this one is definitely most practically helpful. Yes. So, all right, moving on from that one, I'm going to kind of switch over. I guess I'll stay in the love vein for a few <laughs> minutes here and switch over to the love dare. This was a book done by the Kendrick brothers based off of their movie, Fireproof. That yeah. movie came out whoo, probably 15 years ago so now. So you showed it to me when we were dating. And it had been around for a while at that yeah. point already. So we'll just say 15 years probably because it might even be longer than that. Yeah, it's been a few years. Um, <laughs> amazing movie. I really yeah. enjoy the movie. It's a solid movie. And the, the premise of The Love Dare and a Fireproof is, you know, couples walk through for 40 days. They walk through these different steps of married couples, and they learn to love each other in bigger ways and to die to themselves and live for their spouse more so. And it's done through a very good Christian worldview. It's done in a biblical fashion. Um, my problem with it sometimes, and maybe some of this is tied to the movie, is that it makes it sound like as long as you do this for 40 yeah. days, your marriage will be perfect then for the rest of your life. Right. And I'm like, I understand that it's their idea is probably there to you build these good habits and then you keep them up after 40 days. Unfortunately, sometimes it could kind of come across this, oh, do this for 40 days and then you never have to give her another rose ever again or something like that, I guess. And I was like, um... Okay. I, I find it very much like I find their movies, very prosperity gospel-esque. Right. Do this and everything works out for you. And, and quite frankly, at the end of the day, it doesn't always work like that. Yeah. So that's, you know, just because you do this for 40 days, and even if you do it perfectly, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean all the problems that you're in your marriage have gone away or right. been solved or fixed. I mean, you and I have fights. Honestly, we have the same two fights that we've had for 10 years. Yes. No 40-day challenge is going to fix those things because those have been 10-year fights that we... You have yeah. to struggle through and you wrestle with. And I think every marriage has some of those sticking points where you will get to that point and you're like, oh, 
this is our sticking point. We will have to keep coming back to this and wrestling through it over and over again. And yes, so the 40-day challenge, that's... It seems a little insufficient to meet some of those <laughs> situations. At the same time, I do really like this because it, there is nothing wrong no. with being intentional about feeding your marriage. And when you consider most marriages are probably at step one or step zero, this is a great place to start. This is. And so that's why I don't want to just badmouth this Not at, at the same time. Don't go out there and think that, like, oh, well, we shouldn't do anything nice for a marriage. No, I'm not saying that either. Like, don't swing that way. <laughs> Please don't. But it, you know, use this as a starting point, but don't stop at day four. You know, that's kind of the point of, you know. Be willing to, to try other things, seek right. other help. Um, go to your pastor and yes. have them give you some counseling. You know, there's all these things that you can do. Go to another married couple that you trust oh, and yeah, I think, I mean, with and talk with them. Find that older couple in church that's, you know, been married for 20, 30, 40 years longer than you have and say, okay, we need help here. We have a question. What do you do with this? And It'll be amazing. They probably have a little bit more insight because they've done it for 20, well, 30, or 40 more years you know, than you have. The best piece of advice that we got and that we still talk about is, you know, in a marriage, you will fight. Yes. That's normal. If, if you're not fighting, you're not married. Yeah. And it's, it's not so much that not a, or avoiding the fight. It's so much of how do you recover from that mm-hmm. or how do you build after that? Yeah. How do you so, fight well? How do you fight well? You know, yeah. and, and the best piece of advice I heard regarding that was on the radio. It said, you know, realize when you're in a marriage, it's more important to have a good marriage than it is to win a fight. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, well, maybe I need to lose some battles and then yeah. I have a good marriage. You yeah. Know? There's a lot of battles that can be lost so, for the sake of a marriage. Uh, the love dare is a nice starting point. It's also one tool of, of many that can and should be used to help strengthen a marriage. Right. And I do think, once again, I'll say this over and over again, people need to be strengthening their marriages. Always. I mean, everything in our culture is fighting our marriages yeah. anymore. And so, seriously, I highly recommend it for that reason alone of just use it as another tool in your toolkit to keep strengthening your marriages. Your kids need it. <laughs> this whole country Mar- needs it. The marriage it's, is the, the most important relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, even more so than a, than a parent-child. Yeah. yeah. The, ma- the marriage is more important. God designed this for a reason, yeah. and it's the first institution he put in place here on earth for a reason, so guard it well. Um, and then I will switch gears to, I guess, the other institution God put in place was the church, <laughs> and so I will switch over a little bit to pop psychology of the church. This is probably going to be the one that makes me the most... <sighs> On edge? (laughs) Um, Years ago, a man named Rick Warren wrote, The Person Purpose-Driven Life. And I'm not even sure if I I might have read that book. I don't remember. I'll be honest. It's bad. (laughs) I can't remember if I've read it or not. But I did do remember reading The Purpose-Driven Church. I remember it because we actually walked through it as a church family when when it first came out. And I was probably only 12, 13 years old. And I remember being frustrated with it then. (laughs) And that's saying a lot because I was a dumb teenager and I probably didn't pick up on half of what was wrong with the book. And since then, I've read just enough little snippets out of it again to just continually be frustrated by this book. Because once again, it's one of those books where I think there is some grains of truth in there that can be gleaned, that can be held and can be helpful to a church. But there's a lot in there that can be very dangerous too. Hmm. And um, my biggest one is they call it being seeker friendly. And I think my frustration with that is it, it, we've talked about this before. If you, 
whatever you do to draw the person in, you have to do to keep the person there. And so many churches took the idea of this purpose-driven life and being seeker-friendly that it just became another source of entertainment Mm -hmm. to the... And it became bereft of anything biblical, of anything Bible-based. It just became another fun hangout, maybe a more family-friendly or a clean hangout than, say, a bar on a Friday night. We'll put it that way. But it wasn't much better than that in a lot of cases. And this became... It also became a numbers game. Um... The more people you get in the door, the more successful you are. Oh. And um, I really struggle with that because yeah. Jesus let people walk away. Yeah. And he was not seeker friendly in that sense of, you know, he would say the truth and those that wanted to followed him. And then there was a great number that turned away from him as well. And they walked away. And I I see that being something that, especially in the American church, this theology of being seeker-friendly in the sense has permeated so much that it has now come at a detriment to the gospel. We can't say that people are sinners. That's not seeker-friendly. That's not kind. That's Mm. not... And so I can see more and more how what this man wrote has has come to full fruition, and it's not a good fruition. And it seems like we'll do anything we can to keep them there, to get more people in, as opposed Mm -hmm. to feeding the flock that's there and that wants to be there. Right. It's more about, well, what can we do to cater to our visitors? Yes. You know, and that's that's a dangerous road to go down. It is. It is. It can be very dangerous. I I know I'm not super familiar with with his works, but I know Rick Warren is either either very well liked or very well disliked (laughs) in church circles or pastor circles. Yes. You know, it depends on which group you're talking to. I think the pastor we're with now uses him quite a bit and and references him quite a bit, but then when I took my classes, they did not like him. Mm -hmm. Uh, They talked very poorly of (laughs) Yes. And again, I think my biggest struggle with this one, it definitely came down to, it always seemed like it was a numbers game. And this was, a lot of it was right at the beginning of a lot of these mega churches. Oh, sure. And it, you know, those were very huge. And the fact that you could become, you know, 10,000 or 12,000 in your audience on any given Sunday. And it was like, well, you realize that we live out in the middle of nowhere. So especially as we did the study as a church, it was like, even if we become a mega church out here, we will have maybe 200 people in our church. Yeah, Maybe. The, The church we go to now is probably the mega church in town. And it's still like average Sunday, 100, 120. Yeah, 120 tops. Yeah. I mean, it's like, this is not not possible in the way that they're well, describing well, it. It's and not even something that, as I've been to mega churches and small churches, it's really not something that's desirable most of the time. Yes, the mega churches we've been to have such a watered down gospel, and they really mm-hmm. aren't feeding anyone. And it's, I mean, when they're serving communion, it's like a, 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 a assembly line. <laughs> yes. Get you in and out as fast as we can because yes. we have three thousand people to do this for. Oh go, my goodness! Go 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 go. And it's, it's there's like, not man. a moment of reflection. There's not, yes, I yeah. mean... There's nothing personal about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've run cattle through a shoot. It kind of looks about the same. Yeah, and it's like there's like six people standing outside the doors to shake, trying to shake your hands, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, whoa, man, I don't know anybody's name. I don't know anybody here. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to say that just because this church has 3,000, 4,000, 20,000 people, it's successful. Right. I mean, if you've ever seen where Joel Olstein preaches, that thing is amphitheater. Yeah. I mean, it's a coliseum full of 50,000 raving fans. Mm-hmm. But is he a successful pastor? 
I would, I would say, say so. no. Yeah. <laughs> Different theological discussion. Don't get me started <laughs> on that guy. Okay. <sighs> I, I just I would agree with you and say that a church a church should not define success based right. on the number of seats right filled, that are filled. You know. My other my what I will say there was a few good points of this and there is some truth to. Um, I see people also swing the other way. If they become so legalistic or so, I guess, Pharisee-like or something, if they will keep anyone out that doesn't have the perfect life, if you're not meeting the standard or, you know, to the point where instead of becoming any, like, seeker-friendly, you're seeker-averse like to the point where no one feels comfortable walking in your door, no one, you know, because you're just going to sit in someone's spot and you're done. Done. Go away, you know. And I don't know how else to describe it, but you can have... That swing the other way. And so I can see why what he said caught on because there is issues there. There are definitely issues there. And to say that you don't want numbers there is also crazy. You want more people to know Christ. You do want these things. But you want them done in the right way and gospel-centered. And unfortunately, a lot of these resources, like the Purpose Driven Church, quickly swing you away from that. And so that's why I would say I've definitely probably skipped this one just because of there is a lot of questionable stuff in there. You can read it with, and definitely read it with caution, I guess. Sure. Biblical read discerningly. Lenses. Yes. Yeah. So I guess that's where I would go with that book, especially, because this one is a whole other topic I could go for a long time, and I'm already over time today. So I probably better stop and get off my soapbox <laughs> because I will go on. So, all right. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. This has been the Family Bookshelf. My name is Amber of Ambitions for Christ, and with me has been my husband, Nick, the game schooling dad. Be sure to find us on Facebook, like, and subscribe. Thanks so much. Have a good one.